This is a tale of a strange and dangerous world. A world known as Carthus. This is an adventure full of magic, hardship and ale. This is a tale about a world at war and the people who are forced to endure it. From the wounds of battle come three unlikely partners, trying to make sense of something much larger than themselves. But, more than any of that, this is a story about how to win loot and influence dragons. And welcome to How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons. It's a D&D 5e actual play podcast for the Curio Podcast Network. Whether this is the first Curio Network podcast you're listening to, or whether you're a long-time fan, or maybe you've come over from one of our other shows, welcome into the Magic Tavern with me, your friendly dungeon master, Ben McAllister. Who else is here sitting around the fire with me in the tavern? Uh, I am your postcard friend, Jackson Newsom. That's right. He's a he's an interstate boy. And uh, who else we got here? I'm your same postcode as the DM, Thomas Owen. That's not true. Right now, right now, right it is. now it is. But we don't live in the same postcode. <sighs> My point is, I'm here for the recording. Yeah. Okay. And who else we got? Yeah, he actually showed up, Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jackson, you could have taken a plane back here to P Town to fucking be with your friends on this important day. But uh, instead, you're over in Sydney. Listen, guys, I just switch off when I'm not playing this game. I just, like, I'm literally just, like, I'm always playing, and then whenever you guys aren't on the other line, I'm just, I just shut down. So that's real commitment when you think I about have it. an object permanence issue, so I'm pretty sure you don't <laughs> exist when we're not actually recording podcasts. All right, and I'm your cider-sipping lady, Grace Chapel. Not in the room, in the magical tavern. Okay, all right. Uh, so just sitting in the, in the, the frame narrative magical no, tavern. It's like, Grace, I'm right here and cider. you don't have a cider. <laughs> yeah, sure. I thought you were just lying to make yourself seem cool. No. Like being like, oh, look at me drinking my ciders. So yeah, we're, we're a D&D 5e. We're a D&D 5e actual play. We've been making this podcast for a while now. There's currently like 19 episodes out and a 20th one should be coming out alongside this. Our idea here is that we're going to recap the important stuff that's happened in those first 19 episodes to make it a little more accessible, like a nice jumping on point. And the idea is it's, it's hopefully a little more accessible than uh, listening to the, the 19 episodes that came before, although there's fucking good shit there. So go back and listen to them if you really enjoy it and you're a bit of a completist fan. But the idea is that you should be able to jump into episode 20 right after this one and then proceed on from there and know what's going on. But if you want to know like all the inside jokes and some of the other little things that we'll reference along the way, it would be worthwhile listening to. Those but... like super 2017 references. Yeah, exactly. So I mean... when you like start an old podcast and they're like, <laughs> talking about shit that happened in 2015. You're yeah, like, that's true. Wow. Yeah, and they'll like, can you believe Donald Trump thinks he's going to get elected? Yeah. <laughs> like, listening to early 2016 podcasts. We really carbon dated our podcast with all our 2017 hot references. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, the, the fact that I start every episode by screaming the exact time and date, like just really loud into the microphone. Totally. Maybe we'll get a sponsorship shit from what time is it right now? Dot com. That's true. Do you think any of this is usable? Do you think any of this has been any good so far? Not particularly. (laughs) (laughs) So I think before we we tuck right into uh, recapping sort of what's happened in the story so far, it probably makes sense for you guys to introduce your characters as they all existed at sort of the start of the show. So so sort of brief overview, we don't need to get too deep, but why don't we we go around the the wonderful table here while Grace sips her, her pint of cider. Oh, the Foley. Uh, and uh, let's start with Jackson. Jackson, tell me about Jody Mastana, your character. Well, as you say, I'm playing Jody Mastana. He is a, a monk, and he's sort of been, like, trekking around Carthus, essentially, for like, the last few years. He used to work as a sailor, 
and it's just kind of like a very in favor of stunts and all that good sort of stuff. But he's generally just quite like a a kind hearted, aiming to do good. Uh, I, I think is his general his general vibe. And um, for those yeah. interested, he's a human character, I believe. That's true. And his alignment is uh, neutral good, I believe. Oh, that's that's wonderful. What a good hearted, kind spirited young boy. You mentioned Carthus, which is the kingdom where all of this campaign has taken place so far, and I've got something uh, a little bit of information about that coming up shortly. But let's press on for right now to the other characters in, in order of introduction of your names. Who do you play, Thomas Owen? Well, I play Duncan, mm-hmm. who is a dwarven fighter, mm-hmm. was a soldier in the king's army of Carthus. Hang on a second. Is Duncan your full name? I thought this whole time it was just your first name. No, it's Duncan. I thought it was. It's his name. <laughs> Is it not? It, do- it works differently for dwarves. So dwarves have like a double barrel single name. Okay. So um, it would be ridiculous for me to call you Dun. <laughs> yeah, that'd, it'd be it'd be as strange as me calling you like Grey instead of Grace. Oh, yeah. But. But also, Duncan is my whole Gray's name. very cool, though. Actually, no, I do call Gray. He's a scientist at the uh, University of uh, Washington. Seattle. Has he written a book on anatomy? Because that's a famous friend of yours. <laughs> no, his first name is Gray, so it'd be <laughs> anatomy if you were to do so. Hang on, now we've named on that dude. Yeah, I'm going to have to bleep that all out. Sorry, Duncan, you were saying. Tell us more about Duncan. Uh, he fought in the war. That's he going fought on. in the war against uh-huh. the Eastern League, uh-huh. east of the Ashwood, which You'll- is where we find ourselves in episode one, but we'll get to that. You'll hear about the, the war and the, the kingdom in a second. And who else have we got sitting around? Well, not sitting around the table. Sitting around the table, of course, in the tavern mm-hmm. is Grace Chapel sitting outside her. Who does Grace Chapel play in the game of Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, we're actually... I'm Grace Chapel in the tavern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Ah, exactly. Okay. You did um, say your cider yeah. drinking Grace Chapel. It's true. Oh, you're right. It's- yeah. The, the tavern's the frame narrative uh-huh. where we're welcoming fellow. Ad- yeah. it's, it's a weird, it's a weird multi-layered narrative. Right. Yeah. I play a draconic sorcerer called Drazilia Halimian. Mm-hmm. Drazi to my friends and my listeners. I'm <laughs> a half elf, chaotic neutral baby, and um, <laughs> I don't know. I just have like a preoccupation with daggers and yeah yeah well, one of the fun elves. things about Drazi is her ob- half elves her obsession with other half elves <laughs> and also knives all good things to know about Drazi so uh, without much more ado about nothing shall I press into what actually the, the little monologue that actually opened the whole campaign I think that's a good place to start sort of scene setting this is episode one you find yourselves in a world at war the kingdom in which you all live Carthus has been embroiled in conflict with a league of city-states to the east for longer than any of you have been alive To many people living far from the front, the war is something of an abstract notion, something that they're aware of, but that's not present in their everyday lives. They think of it only when soldiers pass through their town or when taxes are raised in service of the war effort. Others who live closer to the conflict zones are not so lucky. Rumours suggest that when the war began, the kingdom held the upper hand, but in more recent years, the coalition of smaller city-states, known as the Eastern League, has begun to win some ground, due in part to new technological advances. Regardless, the war shows no signs of being resolved soon. The three of you have been travelling together for some time, as the roads are very dangerous. Highwaymen and opportunistic bandits are commonplace, not to mention the other, less mundane perils of the world. You're making your way to a small town known as Ashbrook, in the middle of a forest known as the Ash Wood. Duncan, an old friend of yours from the war, named Garrick, has gotten in touch regarding some mercenary work and asked you to meet him there. As you arrive in town, you hear a host of the King's Men in the square standing on a makeshift stage proclaiming that any noble person with an able, able body will take up arms in service of king and country. They're attempting to raise a new force for a push into some contested territory east of the front lines. You see the inn in which Garrick asked you to meet him, the aptly named Ashbrook Inn, on the other side of the town square. 
Other things I have to describe what happens at this first session, the heroes meet Duncan's friend Garrick, a half-elf uh, soldier from the war, and his employer, a scholar from the university in Carthus City named Valeria. She informs them that she's looking for some muscle to take her through some nearby ruins which she believes will contain valuable information for her research. The party signs on and travels out to the ruins, fighting their way through some mundane dangers before arriving at a wall covered in strange carvings, which is what Valeria had hoped to find. The party fends off an attack from a strange spectral defender, whilst Valeria copies down what she needs to know. Anything else you guys remember from uh, session one that you want to throw in the mix there? I don't remember much from back that far, but fuck, you should have seen Grace's face just then <laughs> when she only just realised that Garrick is a half-elf. See? This is the value of yeah. doing these recaps. Because... <laughs> so... Session number two. Our heroes leave the ruins and get back on the road. Valeria asks them if they'll sign on as additional protection for her travel back to Carthus City, and they agree. It isn't long before they're attacked on the road by a heavily armoured caravan of black-clad soldiers and a chase ensues. When all hope seems lost, Valeria grabs at her necklace and channels some unknown magic, which causes both herself and the remaining attackers to disappear into thin air. Notably, a shadowy figure in black robes is in attendance on the pursuit vehicle and also disappears. Before her disappearance, however, Valeria made sure to leave Garrick with her notebook. That's the end of session two. That was the very cool chase sequence. Yeah, that was uh, when I discovered daggers. Yeah! <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> two sessions in, I'm just thinking to myself, I thought Grace had played this game before. What's she doing throwing daggers instead of casting spells? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted that flavour, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drazzy loves knives. Even though, I, I, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think she's ever successfully landed a knife. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, except for that, that spell knife th attack that she has. Alright, shall I, shall I press on with session three if you guys don't remember anything else fun? I was just going to say that um, session two was when Jody completed his world record um, oh, yeah. uh, beating jump yeah. of like, was it like 30 feet or something like that? Or like in a single in a single jo jump? Jody has all these fucking sweet abilities because of his fucking monk features and like, yeah, you burn this key point. There was like this two-cart chase where like you guys had two wagons and there was this big pursuit vehicle and like one of them got captured, like there was a big harpoon dug into the back of it and fucking Jody made this epic 30-foot transfer from one wagon to another jumping through the air. Yeah, so shall we proceed on? The cards yep. just disappeared. Session three. The group, including Garrick, flees into the woods on foot and takes a moment to read Valeria's notebook. They find it is enchanted with a message from her, which reads as follows. I'm sorry. That's all I can think to say to you. I'm sorry for wrapping you brave, naive people up in this, for saddling you with the task that I failed. You have no idea what's coming, and it fills me with dread to think I'm putting this on you, but there's simply no other choice. The very fate of the world may depend on it. This book contains the sum total of my knowledge about the Sine and what they lost. This book is the culmination of my life's work. A large part of this information was the gift of the temple, but I'm getting ahead of myself, and time is already so short. Even as I imbue this message, they're getting closer. Look through the book. Some of it will be hidden to you, but some of it will not. I've done my best to obscure some of the information in case this book falls into the wrong hands, but if needs be and the time is right, more of the knowledge will be revealed to you. For now, there should be enough for you to go on, which is the best I can do under these circumstances. That, and give you a chance to get away. You must get this book to my associates at the university. This is, to put it plainly, the most important task of your lives. They'll be coming for you, the people who are chasing us right now. You'll have to move quickly. There'll be more in the area. They're powerful and well-connected, and they'll have you declared enemies of the king the first chance they get. Be careful, be watchful, trust your instincts, each other, and no one else. Find Alvar Nettleford, and take care of Garrick. Do you guys remember that little message? Don't yeah, remember I, Nettleford. I, yeah, I don't remember that Nettleford dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do now suddenly remember how much I hated Valeria. 
calling us naive, even yeah. though, like, I never trusted her for a second. Like, yeah. the whole time I was like, I'm watching you, lady. And that yeah, sign-off is like, you naive people. I'm yeah. like, what? Yeah, well, I was getting paid. And I had yeah. a sword in my hand the whole time. You guys... <laughs> nothing naive about it. The funny thing is, you guys have now learned a lot about this shit. Potentially more than Valeria even knew about some of it. Maybe Valeria is the naive one. Hey, maybe. But, uh, she's, so- she's vanished. If she didn't die when she vanished and she actually teleported somewhere else, does that mean that she took the cart full of the King Soldiers with her to that new place? That's the implication. No yeah. comment. <laughs> so she probably would have died. No yeah. spoilers, but... Uh, she's a well, really I suppose this is a spoiler cast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this whole episode is one of spoilers. I mean, I don't know. I'm only speculating. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert, you later learn that, yeah, she she maybe didn't die. But uh, we'll get there when we get there. Other things I have from this session. You read the book and you see it's been enchanted with some instructions from Valeria and enchanted to make some of the pages blank. Drazilia, using some magical perception, can realise that they're just kind of obscured. The book contains a treasure trove of knowledge about an ancient group known as the Sine. The book reveals more information as it becomes relevant, and some of it isn't relevant right now. It's full of maps of the kingdom with locations marked and scribbled out, copious notes and obscure references to other tomes, all trying to track down what are referred to as the temples. A large circle roughly marks the location of the ruins that you were at before, which is, is marked as the Temple of Knowledge. In addition, are detailed sketches of Valeria's necklace, which is a Sine relic found previously. The book also contains references to what are called pieces that are stored in these temples, and there's a list labelled Suspected Temples. Knowledge, power, death, life, and then a series of question marks. Later, they encounter a group of war refugees on the road being shaken down by some soldiers. They insert themselves in the conflict and make short work of the uh, marauders. That's the end of session three. Do you guys remember you, you had that yeah, big fight yeah. with Tabsworth, Tabsworth? And you charmed him. I charmed him. <laughs> you hit him with a charm person spell at the end of that fight. And I disguised myself in foliage. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Cecilia was in a, a tree costume <laughs> covered in leaves. <laughs> What uh, is that in The Hunger Games? They're like, do you guys see where that? Where he paints movie? himself like yeah. bread to make him look like a rock. What? He paints himself like bread? <laughs> we see this, he this he paints himself thing. as a rock and he's like, yeah, I was a baker so I know how to do detailed painting, right? <laughs> it's basically like, because he was a baker, he knows how to disguise, him, disguise himself to look like rocks. Anyway, session, session four. Should we press on? Yeah. The heroes interrogate Tabsworth Tabsworth, <laughs> the head of the group of soldiers that they dispatched of, who reveals, uh, Tabsworth that is, reveals that the people in black that they've now faced a few times are elite shock troops within the king's army, and that they've been hunting Valeria for some time. Our heroes proceed to travel with the refugees, who are led by the fierce Andrea, who are headed to a place known as Sanctuary, a refugee camp of sorts that they've heard about during their travels. Unfortunately, you must cross a large river to get there. On the way, the party stops into a town known as Aldbridge, which contains the largest library in the Ashwood. They wanted to try and fact-check some of the information in the notebook. The party went inside to find information about the Sine, but learned that anything potentially useful, such as mythic histories and many sociological texts, have all mysteriously vanished from the shelves. But I did do a, a crit failure on my search, so who knows? Didn't Jody do a nat 20 on his search? Oh no, I was looking for maps. Yeah, yeah, yeah Jody you know did. Jody was looking for maps in the area. Jody nailed a crit 20 on his search, which is why he fucking was able yeah. to find all that shit. We also got Tabsworth Tabsworth so good with some counter intel. Like, yeah. we would yeah. send him on his way packing in the uh, wrong direction, and that was really... That's right, yeah, you, a, you a let real, him... A real strong bonding moment. You let him escape thinking you were travelling east when you were actually heading west. That's right. I'm skipping forward a bit here because after you guys left Albridge, 
you were basically like with the refugees heading to Sankri, which was the next big thing. So like on the way, you had that whole thing with the werebore that I'm not going to bother going into. You were sidetracked by like this werebore that had kidnapped some kids from the town. You resolved that conflict and uh, soon you made your way into Sanctuary, which was the town in a basin. And you, you found out that it was kind of this little... No one turn on the jabs. <laughs> it's this little refugee camp built out of a sort of monastery run by a halfling monk named Hasselback. Hasselback welcomes the party to join uh, the community for dinner and tells them that they're welcome to stay as long as they need. The party informed Hasselback that they want to visit Sanctuary's library, which has been untouched by the soldiers who stole all the information from the Albridge library. But before Hasselback will let them into the library, he insists that they do something for the town. They must prove themselves worthy. He reveals that near the settlement is a temple, which can be quite treacherous, but at the end is an altar which dispenses magical healing water, which the monks at Sanctuary brew into a potent restorative beverage known as Sanctuary Cider. Do you guys remember that? Yep. Oh, yeah. That little dinner that you had where you all chatted with some different people from town. Got into I our backstories a little bit. Yeah. The neeps and tatties? Yeah, Ooh. and there were neeps and tatties to be eaten. Uh. Yeah, and you got into your backstories a little bit. Jody spoke to someone about, uh, well, varies very obliquely about uh, what happened at the monastery where he grew up. That's true. He did. I, I think, to be fair, all three of these characters, some similarities uh, to, to learn quickly is that, like, they're generally pretty private and they all have an intelligence score of eight. Um, and that's sort of the, the general vibe of the party. You yeah, know they're all I mean? very cagey about their backstories. <laughs> Do you reckon that means the themes of the show are dumb people can be heroes too and you're allowed to keep your secrets to yourself as long as you're good at killing bad guys. Yeah, I'd say that's that's pretty much the kind of message I wanted to get across here. I'm glad you've got yeah, it Yeah, we so can well. wrap up now, right? Yeah, no, I mean... End of the yeah. show. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Actually, yeah, that's basically... Yeah. Great. That's the end of HW oh, Late. We yeah. learned our lesson. You've done I'm going to go get better at killing. So... Whilst you were making podcasts, I was learning the way of the sword. <laughs> <laughs> an antique... An antique meme. <laughs> Shall we press on? Let's... So, yeah, basically Hasselback said, like, he wasn't going to let you into their untouched library unless you guys did something for him. He informs you that they brew this restorative beverage sanctuary cider using water that comes out of the altar of what they call the Temple of Gliada, who is their god, of the, the monks who run this little refugee camp. And he informs you that some people from the settlement have to brave the trials of the temple every six months or so, but that this time they require more water than they've ever taken before. So this is sort of like a, a thing that they do every six months. They send a few people over there. They go through the temple, as you guys well know, uh, was quite challenging. And if you want to hear more about it, check out episodes 8, 9, and 10, where these guys brave their way through the temple to find their way to the altar. As the party sets out for the temple, Valeria's notebook reveals that, unbeknownst to the monks, this temple of Gliada is none other than the Sine's Temple of Life in disguise. What a twist. <laughs> That's what I've written here in my reading. I guess that temple has proficiency with a disguise kit. <laughs> Sessions 8, 9, and 10. The heroes brave many trials, solve many puzzles, and put up with much bullshit as they fight their way through the Temple of Life. They best strange metallic constructs, constructs and deadly traps, traps eventually facing off against a large automaton before arriving at the altar that they came to find. So they fill up their water skins with the water they need and realize with the help of the notebook that the altar is actually a false wall, which they're able to get past by solving its puzzle. Inside, they find a small chamber where they locate several small colorful gems and a number of incredibly useful tools, such as a magical greatsword, bowstaff, and arcane focus. The notebook reveals the following interesting information. Little is known about the pieces, and we've yet to recover any. It's thought that there are 12, and that they're all, they all constitute some part of a greater whole, but the importance of this greater whole, and the reason for its dismantling, are mysteries to us. We don't know if it was a choice on behalf of the Sine, or by some kind of external force. Equally mysterious is the choice of location for hiding the pieces. 
The importance of the number 12 in many Sine-related texts leads to believe that there are only 12, but this could be a misinterpretation. These pieces, which are of unknown appearance and manifestation, are thought to be incredibly powerful, even when separated, but more powerful together. Preventing misuse of these artifacts is our most critical objective. Studying their powers is secondary. It's of utmost importance that we recover these gems before the king and before... And then the notebook went blank. Have we completely gone against that? Because we are, like, straight up using the pieces, right? Like, we just kind of like, thanks, Valeria, but uh, we got some cool shit to do, and just, like, completely ignore it. preventing her. misuse. And, uh, yeah, so, so you guys learn that, like, these little three gems that you have are these pieces that the Sine made. This so is I the thing. may have misused the piece when I cut a dude's leg off with it. <laughs> yeah, you know, some would say that uh, that's really a question of your own personal morality, Duncan, mm. whether or not that was a misuse. Yeah, I, I, I use the guy as, like, a springboard to, like, you know, like, rocket off his face <laughs> and then, like, punch back down. <laughs> I, I, th- I think we've I think we've we've done some crimes <laughs> but also fuck Valeria so I know so the party gathered up these things these magical weapons that they made had made a clown yeah, sled just remind me how we got out of this yeah uh, <laughs> they, they they took one of the constructs that you guys had fought inside the temple which was this weird metallic clown and you turned its deceased body into a sled and uh, proceeded to sled down the hill that the Temple of Life is located on top of, back down towards camp. We're fucking champions. Yeah, that was, that was probably the most upsetting thing you've done so far. Session 11, this is my recap for this one. The party makes their way back to Sanctuary. I just glossed over the clown sled incident. And uh, finds it under siege. A group of the king's soldiers are shaking down Hasselback's people for large amounts of healing water and sanctuary cider. Our heroes are able to lift the siege by straight up murdering a bunch of people, and they take some high-value hostages. That was such a good episode. Yeah, that was a fun time. I believe that's episode 11, the clown sled incident is the first part of that, and then episode 12 is you guys actually lifting the siege. Mm. Episode 12, potions 12, the return of Danny Potion. Danny, Danny Potion was the uh, the affectionate nickname you guys gave to Giles, who was kind of like the head brewer slash potion master of Sanctuary. Is he the apothecary? Yeah, the apothecary at Sanctuary. He was the guy who makes and dispenses the Sanctuary cider. Suffice to say, if he were a space marine, his armor would be white. Okay, there you go. That's a nice little 40k reference for you. Hey T, what do you think about the um uh, the Horus heresy? The Horus heresy? Yeah, what do you think about Fuck the Horus, Horus heresy, dude? Yeah. Death to the heretics. Yeah, okay. There you go. Now you know which side of the 40k conflict uh, Duncan comes down on. So yeah, in episode 12, you guys managed to lift the siege and you took hostage the uh, mysterious sort of magical seeming lady Esme, who was wearing black robes, and the captain of this little platoon that was uh, shaking down the town. You proceeded to to attempt to interrogate them. Oh, yeah. The interesting thing uh, that was found here... Yeah, attempt. Yeah, (laughs) attempt is is the right way to say it. Varying degrees of success. Yeah. (laughs) So you guys uh, decided to split up for the interrogation because Duncan found on the bodies of some of the corpses of the soldiers that you killed during your lifting of the siege, one of them was carrying like a signet ring that Duncan recognised as belonging to the platoon that he left when he left the war effort. He wanted to know more about that, so he decided to go interrogate the captain by himself to figure out what was what, while the other two went to go interrogate Esme to figure out what she was about. So, uh, do you guys want to want to run down what basically happened in, in those two interrogations? I mean, if you check out that episode, you'll see from that interrogation how much Duncan hates people who commit war crimes. <laughs> it's true. So Duncan revealed a little obliquely, like, I don't know, do you want to kind of... He reveals how much he hates people who commit war crimes by probably committing, committing a war crime. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> 
That's a war crime, right? Yeah, it's definitely so a war crime. So in order to interrogate the captain, Duncan sliced off his leg. And, uh, uh, but there were healers right there. That's true. The magical healers, healing exists in this world. The healers did restore his leg later. But the important thing is that, yeah, Duncan was asking about the werewolf, who was his old military commander, right? He spent a little too long with a man who was a little too dark, and Dun- Duncan's got some of that darkness in him now. Yeah, a dark knight, you might say. Yeah. Uh, Watchful protector. So what, what What exactly did Duncan reveal at this point? He, was, he saying, was looking for whether or not any people, like, where they'd been sent. Yeah, he um, wanted to know what happened to his old yeah, sort of he was platoon. looking for a word on where people might be. And on where the werewolf was. And where were the werewolf And when he learned that the werewolf, his old commander, was uh, still on the front lines. He'd been tasked mm. with the job of uh, figuring out how the Eastern League were capable of manoeuvring so effectively. Yeah. What happened in the other interrogation with Esme, guys? Yeah, speaking of um, revelations. Yeah, I don't know, Grace. What happened, Grace? Jodie May has let slip Jodie's name. His, and, um... his real human name. You know what You know what I realised? We're like 12 episodes into this recap, haven't mentioned the fact that Jackson's been doing a racist accent through this whole thing. When you say racist, Jackson is Spanish, and he's doing a Spanish accent. Should we have it's a brief exchange in character so that people know what to listen for? Yeah, give me the character voices real quick. Grace oh, no, have this one, is the so... moment where I review <laughs> I'm phoning it in. Yeah, what, is, what does Duncan sound like for me? Duncan sounds a little bit like this. And when he's asking questions, and he would do his bad shit, he sounds a bit more like this. And, and Jody sounds like what? Hello, my name's... <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a cockney geezer from way back. <laughs> oh, you're a right geezer, mate. Uh... <laughs> Hello, my name's Jody Oliver. Let me tell you how to make your school dinners healthier for Please, all the little kids around Can London. I have some more? <laughs> so yeah, you guys were interrogating Esme to try and figure out what she was doing and what she knew. As far as I recall, she didn't really give you anything. No. She was able to sense Apart the from the well, slip. Yeah. She did reveal to us... Like, she disappeared in the same manner as Valeria. Yeah, exactly. So, so she was able to sense that you had pieces on you, and then she cast a spell... <laughs> yeah, we're packing heat. Packing heat. She cast a spell that looked very <laughs> reminiscent of the spell Valeria used to disappear and vanished, and you intuited that uh, that was similar kind of magic. Garrick, upon seeing this, was shocked, because Garrick is really, really fond of Valeria. He's been working with her for years. So he ran off to the library to try and figure out what he could learn. And you guys decided to set out for Cartha City. Mm. Before you left Sanctuary to take a letter to Hasselback's cousin, Kipfler, in Forest's Edge, you uh, did pour through the library at Sanctuary yourselves and you found some relevant information. They found a lot of information about the Sine, some really cryptic information relating the following ideas. The Sine's greatest triumph became their greatest mistake. You found numerous stories about the Sine that don't really add up. Lots of fairy tales, in some they're heroes, in some they're villains. One story tells of how the Sine built the foundations of Gartha City by carving a hollow out of the mountains. One story tells of a great Sine wizard who brought magic to the land. And before the Sine, there was no magic and also no beasts or monsters. There are lots of stories of Sine wizards getting together and banishing evil monsters into the woods. But there are also lots of tales about them sort of stealing children from wooded towns and using them in their sinister magics. So suffice to say, the jury's kind of out as far as the folklore is concerned. One uh, prominent tale tells of how two Sine fought and killed each other over a rare artifact, and it's often considered an apocryphal morality tale. Some of the stories show them as mischievous, like they'd give you magic items to help you if it suited them, but they would also just kind of fuck around with you. And probably the most interesting thing you found was a partial text that was sort of quite degraded, known as The End of the Sine, The Hubris of Maleficus the Wise, Part 1. And this book, from what you could make sense of it, is the story of a particular Sine leader known as Maleficus, who was the Grand Sine Master when the thing that was their greatest triumph and greatest mistake was made. They made something. 
and there was a dispute about what they should do with it. And it's understood that the group fractured as a result of this dispute and that the Sine were no more. What happened to the artifact is unknown and there are conflicting accounts. So that's, that's what you learned in the library. Garrick stayed on to try and do a little bit more research about teleportation magic that was related to the Sine to see if he could figure out what happened to Valeria. And you guys agreed to take a letter from Hasselback to his cousin Kipfler at a nearby town forest edge because he realized that like, now that you guys have fucked with the soldiers that they kind of had an uneasy arrangement with and, you know, saved them in the process, they probably need to move. And yeah, then I left town and went to Paris and Aww. we did a special episode. And uh, when I came back, you guys trekked west out of Sanctuary on your way to Forest Edge. And after a couple of days of travel, you got a message from Garrick that said, found something interesting regarding Sine and teleportation magic. Just a whisper, a reference to something called the web. We'll keep digging. Love Garrick. Then we got some new um, some new talks. Yeah, you got some new threads, some, some new cool threads, new shit. Yeah. Duncan bought some full plate armor from the traveling merchants. Oh, yes. Jelly bought some some hot fresh Peter Allen attire. Did you get like a cool linen shirt and uh, some linen pants? I I think I went a, a silk shirt. Yeah, a silk shirt and some linen pants. That's right. And Jazzy got a, a nice fluffy hat to obscure her face. And then as you guys were trekking through the woods towards Forest Edge, you felt like a magical disturbance that pulled you off the road, and you soon found yourselves in a clearing, standing before what can only be described as an obelisk. It was this mysterious dark stone structure in a, a degree of disrepair with a polished copper tip. And as you came close to it, you noticed that these sort of glass orbs, which were embedded in the stone structure, started to glow. Drazilia touched the structure and promptly disappeared. Shortly thereafter, the boys touched the structure and they were all sucked into a mysterious alternate dimension. Called the Upside Down. Yeah, no, it wasn't, Tom. It's called it's called <laughs> the Web, all right? Now, now we're in called session... the Webway. Now we're in session 14 and you guys found yourself separated. Drazilia had appeared in this tower structure where she was under siege by a giant spider, which she promptly dispatched of. The boys found themselves in a small clearing. Uh, where they were attacked by another spider and a big fucking displacer beast. Ah, oh, and Jackson, you got up in the goo. Yeah, Jackson got up in the goo, uh, which is to say he punched straight through the spider's body <laughs> and yeah. turned it into mush, then then lived in it. Yeah. And now his, his shirt is tie-dye. Yeah, now his shirt is tie-dye. It's not, okay, canonically, it's not tie-dye. <laughs> The, the silk was more resilient than that. It just, it's just been through a lot, you know what I yeah. mean? And yeah, I wouldn't say I lived there so much as just like kind of camping there for a couple there, of terms. Yeah. Using the, yeah, it was, it was more of, yeah, it was more of a, a, a staycation inside a, uh, inside, inside a spider. No, no actual change of address form. Didn't have to file anything in Centrelink. No. So interesting note about the web, this sort of alternate plane that you guys had found yourself teleported into. It's this kind of like endless black void with no stars and it's dimly lit and it's punctuated by these like pillars of obsidian rock and giant piles of mysterious web goo from the spiders that populate the area. But there's also these like faintly glowing paths. And you guys were separated. Drazilia found some interesting books in the tower, one written in this ancient Elvish that lots of Sine stuff is written in, and one written in a kind of more modern Elvish script. You eventually found each other after trekking through the web for a while and found a old Sine transport vessel, this old metallic tube that could be powered by Sine magic, able to propel you through the web at great speed. After reuniting and using the book that Drazilia found to learn a little bit more about the web and a little bit more about how these transporters work, you turned the thing on and you rocketed towards another object which you had felt a mysterious magical pull attracting you towards. And we puddle jumped our way into some hobgoblins. You puddle jumped? Is that yeah. what you said? Yeah, so uh, in Stargate Atlantis, they're called puddle jumpers. Okay, yeah, right. It looks like a puddle, the mouth of the Stargate. So yeah. this... 
Before we get through the puddle jumping section, I'm just going to quickly read what was in, in the book for Drasilia about the web. The web is an alternate plane of reality. It's connected by pathways and populated by monsters. It was wrought from nothingness by the Cine and considered to be one of their more powerful displays. The purpose of it is to allow transport without needing to travel long distances through the material plane. Basically, these obelisks connect you between uh, the web and the material plane. If you touch an obelisk and you know how to use it, you can transport to the corresponding obelisk in the web and then move a much, much shorter distance. And there's a ritual you have to perform to appear at the correct obelisk. If you just kind of touch the things, things can go a bit awry, which is what happened when you guys got separated. Yeah, so now we're, we're at like episode 16. You guys have been trekking through the web for a couple of sessions, and you basically decided that traveling back to the material plane, you were, instead of walking up to the obelisk, you were going to drive this fucking metallic tube, Cine transport vehicle, straight through the fucking <laughs> obelisk. When you did, you punched out into an enclosed underground space full of hobgoblins, who you proceeded to just smush into the walls with your fucking tube. Smush them good. So, you guys quickly found yourselves sitting in this cave back in the material plane with a fucking crashed and crumpled Cine transportation tube. You picked over the remains of uh, the hobgoblins that were there and found that they had some sort of weird magical injuries on them. Like, most of them, it looked like, hadn't been killed by mundane means, and there were quite a few that were dead. So, do you guys remember what happened in this cave? We're getting sort of close to where we're at now, so... Found some things that belonged to some farmers. Yeah, that's you right. took them out to the farmers. You, you found a bunch really of... really pretty standoffish. <laughs> We'll get back to this. way too good at maps. We'll get back. All right. We, we went over explicitly why they were not too good at maps in the episode. I'm tired of this implication that it's hard to draw a map of the fucking farmland that you live every day of your life. But anyway, we'll get there when we get there. Because, yeah, you guys picked through this sort of hobgoblin cave. You found all this valuable shit. You found some yeah. night vision goggles for Jody, which was Jodis. very nice because the Jodas hadn't been able to see very well at all. Uh, a sturdy grappling hook and a cool pendant. Couldn't see very well at night. <laughs> Couldn't see very well during the day. I think that's, that's uh, somewhat dismissive. Especially because uh, you have a high wisdom score, yeah. right? Like, Highest perception of the party. No, no, no. <laughs> you fucking blind old monk. You, you guys had found yourself, after leaving this hobgoblin cave, back in plains. Uh, to the west of the Ashwood, but you didn't know exactly where you were. Like, you didn't know your location north or south. You could just kind of see the Ashwood on the horizon to the east. So you started trekking off. You talked to Garrick via the Sending Stones that you guys acquired when you left Sanctuary, who informed you that you'd been out of contact for nearly a week, whereas in your timeline, it had only been, like, a day or so that you were in the web. Yeah, we, uh, slingshotted around a black hole, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very interstellar. But no, you, you found out through Drazilia's Einstein-level reasoning Completely, completely out of character. That because the web contracts distances, it expands time to make up for it. I got donked on the head. Yeah, that's right. Brazilia got a concussion in the in the great tube crash and somehow learned about the theory of general relativity. So you trekked through these planes and you quickly came to a farmhouse. Well, you met some farmers. No. They were standoffish. You could say they were standoffish. You could also say that they'd all been getting continually burgled by these hobgoblins over the previous several months, and they were laying a trap. You guys happened to be creeping up to one of their homes at night, and uh, they, they did lock you down with some crossbows for a while. But after some tense words, you revealed that you'd found all the shit that had been stolen from their houses in the hobgoblin lair, returned it to them, and uh, were put up in comfort and style in Mel's farm. With Mel <laughs> I was wondering when you'd put it together too. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> We have to go 
go back to that farming killer. You learned from Mel where you were located. You were in the plains sort of south of the King's Road, south of the town crossroads. If you guys head to curionetwork.com slash news, you should be able to see the map. As of right this second, it's the top post, but it might not be by the time you get there, so maybe scroll down and see if you can find it. But yeah, there's a map of Carthus designed by me and drawn by T. Uh, and in the plains to the south of the King's Road and crossroads, there's Mel's farm. So you guys had decided that you wanted to head to Forest's Edge to meet up with Kipfler because Garrick told you by Ascending Stone that there were a lot of people looking for you on the road, that Kipfler had, had been able to arrange surreptitious passage for him from Forest Edge to Gartha City and could arrange the same thing for you. And so we ended up going through that wood and you meeting some really nasty people. Yeah, you, you headed yeah, northeast from the farm. waiting for us. You headed northeast from the farm back through the Ashwood and you got ambushed on your way to Forest Edge. By a bunch of dicks. One of them kept making me stand still. I didn't like it. And that was the end... <laughs> the, end of episode, the end of episode 18 yeah. was your ambush in the, in the Ashwood by the King's Men. One of them had like a really fresh feathered cap, which was very cool. So now we're in episode 19. What happened here was you guys prosecuted the rest of your conflict against these fucking ambushes and made your way the rest of the way to Forest Edge. You made your way into Kipfler's establishment, the inn there, known as the Royal Blue. Do you want to drop the um, potato joke thread? Oh, God. Yeah, okay, so there's this whole fucking thing about how, like, the, the guy who ran the, the sanctuary, the monastery where you guys passed through, was named Hasselback, which is a style of potato dish, which I'm very fond of. His cousin is named Kipfler, which is a type of potato, and his inn is called the Royal Blue, and it took you guys a, a, a disappointingly long time to realize the potato jokes. Basically, the long... The upshot is... You guys heard it. His surname's McAllister. He talks a lot about potatoes. What do you know? The stereotypes are true. Yeah, I'm Irish, right? Deal with it. <laughs> so is Grace, by the way. We're, we're over... Oh, oh, no. What am I doing? Yeah. yeah. Here I am slagging we're the Irish. amongst friends. Yeah, I got, I got some Irish heritage. Oh, no. Oh, no. Cade, McAllister, and Grania all coming at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, T's Welsh heritage is, is out of London mm-hmm. here. He's doing a traditional dance now. Um, <laughs> he got up and started doing a dance. So yeah, episode 19, you guys finished this conflict. You made your way into the Royal Blue. You met Kipfler. He told you that he could arrange travel for you guys in an ale cart to cart the city, similar to Garrick, and that you'd have another person along for the ride. And he introduced you to a mysterious soldier named Marcus. The interesting thing about that, though, from Duncan's perspective, was that he was also wearing a pendant that bore the sigil of Duncan's old platoon. Makes me very suspicious. And that's all the important plot beats that happened in episodes 1 through 19. Episode 20 we've actually just recorded, and it was super fun. I don't know how you guys felt about it. I really liked a lot of the shit that happened there. Good times. Uh, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, so that that's the show so far. If you've liked the sound of any of that, and even if you kind of thought we sounded like a bunch of stupid jerks, I would implore you to please give episode 20 a listen and uh, see if it's your style. Because at the end of the day, the product, it's not D&D. It's friendship. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this chapter 1 to 19 recap. If you like the sound of the story, or our stupid jokes, or both, you can jump straight into the brand new chapter 20, which is out right now. Of course, if you want the fullest experience, you can jump back to the start, but I'd recommend starting with chapter 2.5. It's a supercut of chapters 1 and 2, and it just gets through things a bit more expediently. Other than that, we release every other Friday on the Curio Network, which hosts a couple of other shows and has some new shows in the works, so go check all that out at curionetwork.com. You can get at us at HWLate on Twitter, or at Curio Network on Facebook or Twitter. Anyway, thanks again for listening. We hope you stick around. This is your friendly dungeon master, I guess, leaving the magic tavern. See you around!